Hello everyone, welcome back to the uh, Home Bible Study Podcast. Um, we have come to a very exciting juncture in the study of this uh, letter to the Hebrews. It's, it's exciting for me simply because it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible and to be able to study it kind of from the perspective of sharing that study with other people very exciting and what I call the height of fun. So we're going to have a good time. We're going to have some fun here. Um, I will try to keep the lessons uh, within a, you know, 45 minute, or more than an hour if possible, but it's a podcast. If you needed to pause it or come back, you can do that. Um, I'm just going to enjoy myself. I'm just going to enjoy the study, and um, if it goes over that a lot of time, then so be it. But hopefully, we'll be spending that time doing something that's worthwhile and glorifying the Lord Jesus. So, with that said, let's get into the study. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. I'm going to go ahead and stop there. Hopefully we'll get that far. So there's a lot here in just these four verses. Um, it's just really, it takes me back. I cannot put into words how awesome it is to find so much depth of knowledge, doctrine, just in these few verses. So uh, I'm never going to be able to properly bring that out. Um, but we know that God, the Holy Spirit, can use um, what we offer in faith to glorify the Lord Jesus. So that's my goal here. That's my objective. And I hope that in the process, we'll be blessed uh, in the study. So this is what a lot of people call the roll call of the faithful, the faith chapter. You know, a lot of, it's very well known. It's been taught by a lot of people. A lot of people have studied this. Um, and it is such a wonderful uh, chapter. We've It's been preceded by a lot of doctrine. And that's why a lot of people, including myself, believe Paul was the one who authored this letter because he usually starts with the doctrine and then he kind of closes with the personal. And we have made a shift starting uh, about um, verse 10, um, you know, I would say around verse chapters, Chapter 10, excuse me, around verse 24, there's a shift from just this doctrinal uh, study to kind of a personal application. And so now we're going to continue that 
personal application, which um, the writer is making us to remember things that we need to remember. Uh, it's a very important part of our Christian development, growth, maturation, that we recall things because we get so caught up in the moment and so caught up in what's happening right now that we don't stop, take time, and look back and see the distance that God has brought us. The things that happen between then and now, those are the things that have made us and shaped us into who we are. Whether you think those things are good or bad, um, whether they be challenges or uh, great blessings in your life, it all adds up to uh, mold you uh, like a piece of clay into who you are right now. And so we need to meditate on that and, it, and remember those things because these are the things that help build us. It's kind of like going to the gym and working out. So we need that. Uh, and here the author is making us to remember some more things. He started that journey of uh, remembrance at the end of chapter 10, and now he's just going to continue with that theme, now focusing on not just the things that have happened to us in the past, but how they apply to our growth and our faith. Because the faith is the key to any success for a believer. Faith is the foundation. It is the life force of growth. Faith is what leads to action. Faith leads to action. And we are encouraged to go forth, to walk, um, to strive. There's a lot of words that point towards a direction, right? And faith is what gives us that uh, fire, that um, ability to accomplish the things that need to be accomplished in our lives. That's, that's the conduit in which the Lord Jesus uses to motivate, to activate, and it's how we reflect our belief and trust in the Lord Jesus. So faith is really important. So we're going to see here some examples uh, here in chapter 11, examples of people that are just like you and me, who live the life by faith in Jesus Christ. Um, it's going to be a historical reminder of what Jesus has accomplished in the lives of those who did nothing more than believe in the word of God. You have to understand that that's all we're asked to do. That's the basic command that uh, we're given. So um, we're going to get sort of a Hebrew history lesson, right? Very important. So the writer is going to kind of remind these people from their history, as he's been doing throughout this letter, uh, of the significance of these uh, doctrinal truths. And here he's going to make a particular application of faith. So it's, it's good to remember here um, Romans 15, 4. And that applies to us just like it did to these Hebrew believers. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime or for learning, that we, that's us, all of those who are in Christ, that we through patience, 
there's that word again, and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So this is where we get our patience. This is where we get that patience that was uh, really pounded home to us in uh, chapter 10. It's through the word of God and we get comfort. I mean, these, these studies should provide comfort to you. Whatever you're uh, facing, I don't know. There's a myriad of things that people could be dealing with, but we, we have learned that these things are common to all of us. And so the common answer for comfort, the common place to go to for comfort is here. It's in the scriptures, Romans 15, 4. Through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Very important. So that's what the writer's going to do. He's going to take us on a journey of faith through the scriptures so that it would encourage us that we would be comforted and that we might be built up in this hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. So we start with a description of faith. Very important. We're going to get a definition of faith. That's, that's how he starts in chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? So it says faith, it says now faith is the substance. So faith is the substance, the what makes up the stuff, whether seen or unseen, substance is speaks of stuff, something that uh, somebody has or they something that's tangible substance. So faith is the substance of the things that we hope for, right? So we have a hope in Christ. We haven't seen him. We've never seen heaven. Uh, we've never seen uh, these people talked about in the Bible. We've never met them. But by faith, we know that heaven is real. We know that Jesus is real. We know that these people and these accounts of their lives are real, factual, and true. Because faith is the substance of our belief. So it says here, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So faith is the foundation. It's, it's our uh, deposit on what we hope for. Not a hope like we hope that it happens, but it's a hope... Like we know those presents are under the tree and we know that what's in there is what we want. It's just a matter of time before we get to it. And so we have to wait. That's where the patience comes in. But faith is the substance of those things that we hope for. So that's why we can wait. That's how we do have this patience. And it's also the evidence of things not seen. It's very important that we do need evidence. We need proof. Um, it says that, um, you know, in, in the Bible, it talks about that, how that, um, you know, the Jews always look for a sign. Um, we need proof. We need evidence. Nothing that we believe is based on what we think might be. God has not left us in that position. He's given us concrete 
immutable evidence of the things that we cannot see. That's how I know that Adam existed. That's how I know that Eve existed. That's how I know that Paul existed. It's not just by the accounts of Paul's life, the, the mark that he left on history. Um, that's how I know that Jude existed. It's because I have this evidence. And faith is the evidence of these things that are not seen. So that's very important for us to understand faith. And I know I may spend a lot of time with that, but there may be people who have never heard it explained that way. But that's what faith is. Faith is not something that just out there that anybody can have and you just need to get it or have more of it and you'll be fine. Faith is something that's real. Faith is directly related. Listen to this. Faith is directly related to your relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. That is key. Faith is not something that we don't, that's completely intangible that we just can't identify. You can directly associate faith with God, the Holy Spirit. Who is God, the Holy Spirit? Well, he's the earnest that we've been given, right? Jesus said, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to leave you without sending the comforter. Well, the word, it says, is where we receive our comfort. That's not a coincidence. God, the Holy Spirit, is the comforter. God, the Holy Spirit, takes the word of God and makes it real to us because we have that concrete evidence indwelling us that makes us to know that we can trust God, that all of this is real. Very important to understand the connection of faith and God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is our comforter. The one who teaches us gives us understanding. Uh, we must walk in the Spirit. That's what we're told all the time. We must continue in the Spirit. It's very important because that's what builds our, builds our faith. Uh, we must absorb the spiritual nutrients that are provided by God, the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit is Christ in us. Okay, that's who he is. And he is here for us in an earnest, the, our evidence, our deposit on everything that has been promised to us. So we don't have to just blindly believe that all of this is real. We have evidence through God, the Holy Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit, the more you walk in the Spirit, the stronger your faith becomes, right? That's, that's, that's why we're told to walk in the Spirit. Uh, the wisdom we receive from the Word, from the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, this is what strengthens our faith. So you see, this is, you know, a lot of people, you know, oh, you just got to believe things. Sometimes you don't know the answer. The, the answers are here. The answers are in the Word of God. God has laid it out very plainly. It's like, you know, that's why he calls us sheep, because we're dumb. So he has to make it very plain for us. You know, the problem is, is we're not being obedient, and myself included, to pursue these things that are here for us. We're not prioritizing these things in our lives because we're distracted by all this other stuff that's going on, when really we should be intently focused on the word of God. And we would be able to make these connections through God, the Holy Spirit's ministry. 
So next we're going to see here uh, the in, in in verse one we saw, you know the the definition of faith, right? So in verse two we're going to start on what I like to call the why, the who, and the what. So I'm breaking it down into the why, the who, and the what because you know. It helps you understand that way. It helps me understand, and hopefully it'll help you understand. So first, we're going to start in verse 2 with the why. And we're going to start with the examples to, of faith as seen in the elders. So the the writer is going to have us look back in history, like, like we should be doing in our lives. Look back in the history and see how that God has had a, uh, a ministry to us throughout our lives. Well, it's God is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. So his ministry is the same with these elders. And so we're going to be able to make that application not only through them uh, and how the God worked in them, but also to ourselves. You know, it's teaching us how to think, how to um, take in full advantage of what we have in God, the Holy Spirit. So starting in verse two, it says, for by it, talking about faith, for by faith, by it, the elders obtained a good report. That's what it says. Um, this is why uh, faith is important. This is the why. Why is faith important? Why should it be important to us? Because by it, the elders, we can look back and see how they accomplished amazing things. How many times have you been studying the word or uh, being sit down and you know listening to someone teach and you're just awestruck at what was accomplished in this person's life and you think wow wow that's amazing you know it's miraculous but the interesting thing is is that that's the same God that we serve that's the same Jesus Christ that we serve and we have greater access to Jesus than even these people, these elders did. So why aren't we seeing those miraculous things in our lives? Is it because they're not there? I don't think so. I think they are there. I just don't think that we are uh, seeing them for what they are. And we're not acknowledging the Lord Jesus and what he's accomplishing in our lives, the amazing things. But if you go, if you were to sit down and tell other people about what Jesus has done for you, you will find your spirit full of joy, about to leap right out of your body, right? Just from the accounts of what he's accomplished, because that's when we kind of, it becomes real. When we're telling other people, when we share the things that he's done for us, it becomes even more real to us. We become more cognizant of it. So it's important for us to share the things that Jesus has done for us with those whom he leads us to do so. But here we see the elders by faith obtained a good report. Now that's kind of putting it mildly when you talk about somebody like, um, oh, just pulling uh, Moses or Abraham, you know, a good report, they, they obtain far more than just a good report is from our perspective. But this is from the perspective of God. And God says, by faith, not by any other means, 
not because Moses was born a certain place or a certain time. Uh, there's nothing in Moses that's different from you and me. We both are in Christ. We both have a relationship with God. And Jesus is a key to that relationship. So these men of old, Moses, Abraham, they were able to obtain a good report. So here we see something really important. I don't want to run by real quickly is that um, this good report is all that we're expected to uh, bring to the Lord Jesus. He wants us to bring a good report. He wants to be able to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That is the high calling that we've been called to. Our entire life could be summed up in was our life lived in a way to where the Lord Jesus will give us a good report. That's what we should be striving for. That should be our objective and our motivation is, you know, a good report. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. So Moses and Abraham, we, we mentioned them, they lived lives of faith. We know that because it's stated here. They lived lives of faith and accomplishment. We know about the great things that they accomplished. These are famous men that are, have been, uh, their names have been remembered for thousands of years, you know, uh, very, very famous people uh, who accomplished these things by faith. That's how they accomplish. Now, the, the age we live in, people try to get famous a lot of ways. But, you know, uh, there's none of these people that are uh, trying to get famous outside of faith will ever be remembered for eternity. Um, the Lord said that his word is eternal. So that means that the record um, of Moses and Abraham will go on for eternity. And uh, that's the kind of fame that we should be seeking. And it's only accomplished through faith. Uh, very important. So, so that's the why. And then I jump right into the who without telling you. So Moses, Abraham, the elders, us, that's the who. Uh, that's who can benefit or accomplish things through faith. Those who are in Christ, those who have a relationship with God, um, the God of the Bible. Those are the ones who uh, are able to benefit uh, from, from a life of faith and uh, receive this good report, okay? Next, we're going to see in verse 3, it says, Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. It seems like we're taking a turn here. First, we were talking about the accomplishments and the things that we can do in faith. Then we talked about, you know, the examples of faith through Moses and Abraham and, and how the faith uh, allowed them to accomplish great things. But now we're switching to kind of the power of faith. So because, you know, yes, faith accomplished lots of things in these people's lives. Yes, uh, Faith will allow us to have a good report, and it makes us well-pleasing to God. But there's something else about faith that we don't want to rush by, and that is the fact that faith is equated with power. So if you want power in your life, in your ministry, in anything that you're trying to do for God, it must be done in faith. Very important. 
If you try to accomplish anything or do anything outside for God outside of faith, you will fail miserably because it will have no power. The power of faith is very important and it's very is linked to our understanding here. It says through faith, we understand. So don't go too fast through that. Through faith, we understand. So our understanding, our knowledge, our power, which comes from our knowledge, which comes from the revealed word of God, through faith, we have this understanding. So we have to make sure that we understand that faith is integral, an integral part of our understanding of the word of God. We, in fact, we could not understand, we cannot believe, we cannot trust, we cannot even know God apart from faith. And faith is the gift that comes to us in salvation, right? I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence that we also have the indwelling spirit, the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit in us that activates our lives in our salvation, that gives us life. So God, the Holy Spirit and faith are integral. They are synonymous. And through faith, through God, the Holy Spirit, through his ministry to us, we understand. All right. But now we're going to see the what. We saw the, the why, the who, and here's the what. What do we understand? Well, he gives an example. We understand that the ages were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. He's using an example, one of the biggest, grandest examples that he could possibly use. We understand something that the world does not. This is something you can only understand and know from studying the word of God. And it's something that he talked about earlier in the book. He talked about the ages, right? The ages, uh, how that the history of mankind is directly linked to um, God's interaction with mankind. And throughout the ages, these, these, these times, segments, as divided by the word of God and God's interaction with man, we like to call them dispensations, we can learn the purpose the reason for God's interaction with mankind and why we are where we are. God has framed his story in scripture, right? And through dispensations, we can see how there's a dispensation, uh, number one, where there's Adam and Eve, then there's the next dis dispensation uh, uh, with uh, Noah, I don't know why I couldn't think of that. Noah, you know, that was the next dispensation, human government. So um, if you look throughout scripture, and I'm not, I'm not going to teach dispensationalism right now, but these ages are revealed, are, you know, the are framed. The word of God is uh, framed through these ages and how that God has interacted. I think the, the most important framing that we need to see is the old covenant versus the new covenant. That's something that was... He, he went into great detail about the old covenant, the, the priesthood, 
and all how that pertained to the Aaronic priesthood and the correlations made now to this priesthood that we have in Christ, right? Now we are believer priests. And he showed the, how that the Lord Jesus is now the great high priest, right? So he's, he's referencing this subtly and saying through faith, we can understand these things. If we understand anything, it is through faith. And he's saying that so that the things which are seen, the tangible things that we can see, they're not made of things which do appear, meaning God created all of this out of nothing. Only by faith can you understand and believe that. I mean, science has tried very hard to explain the origins of the universe. And the best they could come up with is there was probably some Big Bang. And when you ask them, well, what created the Big Bang? We don't know. So simply put, this verse is uh, chiming in on that discussion, right? Years, thousands of years before science was able to uh, come to the conclusions that they have right now, we have this verse that simply explains that all of these things were made out of nothing. The things which we see were not made from things which do appear. There was nothing here. God didn't use matter that was here and then just reformed it. That's not how it worked. Simply put, uh, matter just did not exist. You know, it didn't exist and then evolve into what we see, but instead God spoke it all into existence. You can only believe that by faith. You can only know it by faith, by God, the Holy Spirit inside of you saying, yeah, that's how, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Science can only guess based on what is seen. Uh, scientists call it the observable universe. That's how they come to conclusions. That is the way that they gain knowledge. They observe the universe and the more matter particles and understanding that they have that they can observe, the more they learn. It's like Plato's cave. You know, uh, they're interpreting uh, shadows, you know, what they see, regardless if it's the substance of something or if it's just a shadow. They don't know. They can't tell. But God created the substance. So since he created the substance, he can tell us that, yeah, I created all of this from nothing, you know, and he understands. And so we can have a greater understanding through God than we could ever have through science. Perfect example of this is gravity. Okay. Uh, ask a scientist what gravity is. They'll be like, I don't know. They don't know what gravity is. They can only observe gravity's effects on other things so they know it exists. But they have no clue what it is. If it's one thing, if it's a bunch of things working together, they just can't tell. And so this is the limitation of the human mind, where uh, faith takes us beyond those limitations. Because in, in, in the Lord Jesus, there are no limitations. By faith, we can know by the word of God, by what's revealed through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can know things that we could not know otherwise. And through the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, it's settled in us. 
the truth. There is no guessing. You know, we don't have to guess. We know. And we need to know. Uh, God wants us to know. The Lord Jesus wants us to be firm in our faith and stand. He wants to give us truth to stand upon. He's not asking you just to believe and not understand and just blindly believe. He's giving us everything we need. All the truth is there. So uh, to the world, outside world, it looks like, well, you're just believing in nothing. Yeah, that's what it looks like to you. But that's because you don't have the indwelling uh, ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. So by the same principle, those who don't have the Holy Spirit cannot know the whole truth. Just like we can know the whole truth, at least as much as God has revealed to us, they cannot because they do not have this, uh, the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit in faith. They're limited. These that are outside of um, Christ, those who are unsaved, they're limited to know only what they can see. And even then, this is the thing that's really interesting. They will willfully refuse the truth, even if they can see it. The Bible says that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So it's not just that they cannot believe. They willfully don't want to believe. That's why Jesus could stand before them and say, I am the Messiah, and they could reject him wholeheartedly. It's, it's not because he didn't give all the evidences to be God. It's not that. He gave plenty of evidence. It says that they, he performed so many miracles that they couldn't even account for all of them uh, in the scriptures. It was just myriad of, uh, of miracles that he performed. But people still didn't believe. You know, you hear people say, well, if, if God is real, why doesn't he come and show himself to me right now so that I know he's real? Because even if he did, you wouldn't believe he was God. Because that's how dark, that's how devastating sin is. That is the deceitfulness of the death that is in those who are unsaved. The spiritual deadness is that it's not just that they won't, they can't know the truth. Even if the truth is presented to them, they will suppress it in unrighteousness. They will choose unrighteousness over the truth. And all you have to do is minister to somebody and find that out. And that's something that you need to learn now. If you don't know that, please, if you don't learn anything else from anything that I share with you, learn this, that you cannot uh, save anyone. It is not in your power. It's not in my power. Only God can save people. Only he can do it. He's the only one who has that power, that ability. We're not told to save people. We're told to minister to the truth to them, to be an evidence, a witness of the truth in the way we live, in how we carry ourselves, in the way we serve, in everything that we do. That's what we're to do. We're to tell people about the Lord Jesus and why we do what we do. And he will take his word and accomplish amazing things. All we have to do is present the truth. You know, I talked about scientists. A Christian scientist will always understand and know more than the smartest man or woman on the earth who's not a Christian. Uh, Psalm 119.98, 98. 
You know, by your word, you've made me smarter than all my teachers. That is the truth. And you will experience it. The more you study the word, you will find that you will have a knowledge, not because you're better than anyone else, just because you have this gift, this faith. And that's why, that's what this writer is trying to help us to understand how important, how powerful faith is and what a monumentous uh, part of our life faith should be. Now, I love science, particularly physics. You know, I'm not a physicist, but I do value the work and the discoveries of science. I really enjoy it. You can ask any doctor or nurse. Science can only take you so far, but faith has no limitations. The writer is going to use the history now of the Hebrews to kind of send this point to us, uh, to show us the limitless power of believing God. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, then you're going to really enjoy this walk back in time, right? If you're not so familiar with the, the, the Old Testament and the people that we're going to be studying about, then consider, you know, this kind of a, a reminder um, of uh, all the things that God has done in the past, you know. And you're, you're going to just be able to receive a great blessing, I think, uh, from their lives. And you know what? People are going to receive a great blessing from your life uh, because you are taking the time to study the word of God. You're making it a priority in your life. And this is how God works. These are the people that God uses. There's several people that have existed that... God has used that aren't recorded in scripture and they did nothing more than trust him than to walk by faith. So let's get in here in here to um, verse four and we're going to see the first person that is being held up for us to look at. The first person that this writer is using from God's perspective now of uh, a life lived in faith. And I hope that we can see correlations um, to our lives as well. So for, it says, verse 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that, was, that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, yet he speaketh. So first off it says, By faith Abel. I don't want to zoom past that. We need to understand who Abel is, who Abel was in his life here on earth, and why he's being singled out. So let's look closely at some of the interesting things that we can know about Abel. Uh, now, Abel was the uh, brother of Cain. Cain was the firstborn. Abel was the secondborn. These were the first sons of Adam and Eve. So we're going all the way back. The writer decided to, you know, really go back and show us and take us on this journey. So first, the writer is showing us examples of people that live by faith. Let's keep that uh, in mind. And it's always from God's perspective. Now, Jesus's perspective is the only one that matters here. We have to we have to understand that because if you really if you really get things down to the nitty gritty. Um, when your life is all said and done, 
Nobody's perspective matters other than Jesus's. Think about that. When you're standing with him at the Bema and he's reviewing everything that you've done in your life, whether it be good or evil, since you've been saved, um, you're not going to be talking. There's no explanation. Oh, yeah, I remember that? Okay, I remember. Let me tell you what happened. Uh, what happened was, no, you're going to be quiet. The only person who judges good or evil in your life is the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you keep that in mind now, you will walk accordingly. So the only perspective that matters, remember that, is that of the Lord Jesus. No matter what people say or think about you, no matter what you think about yourself, you should always, always remember that Jesus his perspective is the only one that matters. So look to him to show you how he feels about you. And he will reveal a love for you that you cannot even uh, really comprehend. But it will fill you up and it will make you to walk in a way that is right from his perspective. So Faith is faith in Christ. That's very important that we understand that. We're talking about faith, the faith of Abel. Faith is faith in Christ. A life of trust and obedience. That's what we're looking at. And faith being the key of that. Any interaction with God by man throughout the Bible is always the pre-incarnate Christ, the incarnate Christ, the post-incarnate Christ, or the glorified Jesus Christ. That's it. Anytime you see interaction between man and God throughout scripture, it's going to be pre-incarnate Christ, like we see with uh, in Genesis with Abel. It's going to be incarnate Christ, as we see in the Gospels, the post-incarnate Christ, or either the glorified Lord Jesus that uh, we see in the book of Revelation. So very important to keep that in mind. Uh, Abel, back to Abel. Now, by faith, Abel. It says... Uh, that's who we're starting with. Now, let's look at some stuff about Abel here. Abel was the younger brother of Cain, right? Cain was the firstborn. Now, you have to understand that Abel was seen by Adam and Eve. At least we know by Eve. I don't know about Adam, but for sure by Eve, uh, Abel was seen as the lesser brother. There is a rule that runs throughout Scripture that you have to understand from the Hebrew perspective. The firstborn is the one who receives preeminence. And the firstborn is the one that is uh, has the right of the blessing. Uh, and it starts here. Cain was the firstborn. In Genesis chapter 4, it says that Adam knew Eve and that they, that Cain was the firstborn. And Eve said, I've been given a man. Now, why is that significant? Because remember, the prophecy told her that her seed would crush the seed of the serpent. So she was looking for an anticipation of the Messiah. Okay, they had a they were in the Garden of Eden. They had a perspective like we'll never have. They knew what it was like pre-sin and then the tragedy, the weight, the burden the the just the crushingness of sin in their lives and how it totally changed everything how they even looked at each other they went from the innocence of 
seeing each other just in pure love to the darkness of sin taking over and seeing each other in a way that was very impure to where they tried to cover themselves up. So they understood that transition like we won't, we can't, because we don't know what it was like prior to sin. They did. So for her hope, she clung to that prophecy like, um, like you wouldn't believe, right? Her faith was in that prophecy. Her faith was in the fact that God said that a deliverer would come and she was looking for that deliverer. So they thought that deliverer was Cain. She says, I've been given a man. She was excited. Cain was that man. So Cain would have been well-versed in what life was like before sin, right? Amity would have told him all about that. And as part of his uh, kind of grooming him to be that deliverer, they thought he was going to be the one. So he needed to know, they needed to raise him in a way to where he was raised under the fear and admonition of God. He needed to know everything about God and about how their lives were before and how to change to their lives and how it is now. So Cain would have been taught all of those things. So Cain would have been well-versed in those things in life and what it was like before sin. Um, Adam and Eve would have taught him the importance of obeying God. Think about it. They disobeyed God and look at the consequences. So they would have really stressed and, and really pounded home the importance of believing and obeying God. So we, we know that. Um, Cain was the firstborn male. So we know that if you're the firstborn male uh, throughout uh, Hebrew history, uh, you're considered the one who has the right to the blessing. You you get the greater portion of all the inheritance. Uh, so Cain was that person. And I imagine that Cain understood the significance of his birth. In light of all these things, he knew how significant he was. He was probably told that, you know, we think that you're potentially that one that is going to deliver us. So he grew up in the light of that. Cain was the picture, I think, of mankind in the flesh. And I hope you're going to be able to see that. And I know that we're talking about the faith of Abel, but you got to understand who Cain was in the environment that Abel um, grew up in so that you can understand the faith of Abel. So hopefully you're going to be able to see that Cain was kind of a picture of the man in the flesh, very self-important, self-centered, kind of inflated sense of importance, and all of this kind of fed his ego, right? Um, he was also probably very clever. I think he was a very clever man in the sense that he was able to understand and know things that uh, other people uh, could not. You know, we are, the, the, the world teaches that, you know, we all started from Cro-Magnon man, Neanderthals, and we ran around clubbing with each other and, you know, uh, with crude language, if anything. But the truth is, is that uh, Adam was highly intelligent. Eve was highly intelligent. For them to be able to have conversations and an understanding with God and a relationship with God, they had to be highly intelligent. So uh, Cain would have also been intelligent. And we know that he was uh, a tiller of the field, right? So he was very into plant life 
And I assumed that he was probably like on the level of a botanist, you know, that he was super, it wasn't just, he knew how to plant a seed and watch something grow. I mean, I can do that. And I, I love gardening. I'm not trying to belittle gardeners, but I mean, Cain, I believe had a understanding of plant life on a much higher level than uh, just, you know, being able to grow some corn or some wheat. Now let's look at Abel. Now Abel was the son born after Cain. Now mom and dad didn't put the same pressure of importance on Abel because you know what? He wasn't the firstborn. He wasn't the one that they thought was going to be the Messiah. So he didn't have this same uh, pressure of importance or significance uh, in his birth. Uh, Abel was not seen by his family as having the same value, you might say, as Cain did. You know, they wouldn't have seen him as having the same value. He was a second born. That doesn't mean they didn't love him. Of course they did. But he just didn't carry the weight. The hope that they had in their hearts was didn't rest upon Abel like it did on Cain. Uh, Abel worked just as hard tending the sheep and was probably just as uh, wise uh, in that trade. You know, he was, he learned and had an understanding of cattle, of sheep and, and uh, you know, the animals uh, of that nature. And so that was his realm, right? Uh, but he also spent time considering God. Now we're told, we were told back in uh, chapter 10 uh, that it's important for us to consider um, things that God has done in our lives. And, and, and Abel, we can ascertain, spent a lot of his time considering God. While he was out there tending those sheep or whatever animals that he attended to, he meditated and he prayed and he conversed with God and his spirit in getting the understanding of who he was and uh, the significance of his life in relationship to God. We know this. We know he did this because of his testimony. So this is something that he did. Whereas Cain Cain, we saw, was someone who was really good at tilling the ground, and he considered those things. He considered himself in relationship to all that his parents built him up to be, whereas Abel, you know, not as much pressure on him. He, had, he, he spent his time considering God. Abel applied his heart to living his life in the light of the word of God and the things that he learned about God. Uh, God spoke to Abel and instructed him in a in the way uh, to live a life that's pleasing, just like he did for Adam and Eve, just like he did for Cain. We know that God spoke to all of them and God was very much a part of their lives in the sense that, you know, giving them instruction. But the difference is Abel responded positively to that divine revelation. Cain did not. And this is the key. This is how we know that Abel had the gift of faith. By faith, Abel believed God. Okay. 
and he responded positively to that instruction. That's the key, and that's what we need to do. We have the word of God. We're receiving instruction. How do we respond to that? Are we responding in a positive way? That's the key. Abel responded positively to divine revelation. Abel took a stand for God and witness to his family. We know that. He took a stand for God and witness to his family. He was a witness in the way he lived his life. And he was also a witness directly to Cain. Okay? He took a stand for the truth and witness to his brother. So we, we learned that Cain was rebuked by God and warned and instructed. Okay? So Cain had warning. He had instruction. God did not neglect him and not give him instruction. Just like today, man has been given instruction. God has, is rebuking mankind through the ministry of the Bible, through us, those of us who are believers who take a stand like Abel did. We are rebuking the sin of the world. We're rebuking their unbelief just by living our lives of faith. It's so important for us to understand that. That's why it's important for us to have a good report because God through us is witnessing to all those around us, whether we speak a word or not. Now, it's important for us to be able to know the word and to know the truth so that we can um, represent the Lord Jesus and his word when given the opportunity. But here we see that God directly spoke to um, Cain. That's recorded in Genesis. And he warned and instructed him. Abel subsequently witnessed to his brother and exhorted him to obey God. So uh, what happened? What is the story here with, uh, with Cain and Abel? Well, if you don't know it, um, it was time to give an offering. Because, you know, that's always been a part of any um, worship uh, of God is that you you give an offering. He he provides for you food and clothing and, you know, a place to live. And he expects you to give a portion of that back, not because he needs it, just because he's God and we're to recognize him in, in our, our gifts and offerings. So uh, Abel presented um, an offering from the flock, which was what they were instructed when Adam and Eve were uh, cast out of the uh, Garden of Eden, God put animal skins on them. And you can't get animal skins off of animals unless they're shedding the blood. So the principle of shedding blood was there. Then the Adam and Eve transferred that knowledge and that principle to their sons, Cain and Abel. Abel responded positively and he offered to God from the flock. Uh, that he offered uh, a blood sacrifice, which is the key to obedience. It's always been a part of worshiping God. But Cain decided to offer something from uh, the field because he was a botanist and he was so proud of the crops that he was able to uh, put together. And, you know, they're probably resistant to uh, frost and resistant to uh, insects or whatever. And he was very proud of that. 
Okay. And he felt like God should be happy with that as well, because look what he did. It was all about him and not about God. And so God didn't accept his sacrifice. And uh, Cain was very upset with God. And Abel went to his brother in love to say, hey, you know, you need to, you know, change your attitude. Now, this is what God has instructed us to do, brother. And I want you to enjoy the blessing of God and not, um, you know, behavioral towards God, not, not, not allow sin to, to come into your life and destroy your life. Look what it did to mom and dad. You know, look at what it did to their lives. And, and, and what does Cain do? Well, he gets angry and he can't attack God. So he takes out his anger on the one that God sent to minister to him. Does that sound familiar at all? That should sound very familiar because exactly what the Lord Jesus did. He was sent from the Father to minister the truth unto us. And what did we do? Mankind as a whole, we rejected him. He was killed. He was made a martyr. So here we see Abel was the very first one. He was the very first martyr. He was murdered by his brother because he was ministering the truth to him. So by it says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Why was it more excellent? Because it was from the flock. And there was a blood sacrifice that was a part of worshiping God. And the reason it was excellent is because he uh, obeyed God. It was just that simple. Not only uh, was it a sacrifice of the flock, but he also offered the sacrifice of obedience unto death. And that's, that, some, to me, kind of sums up the life of Abel, that he was obedient in his life, he took a stand out of love to minister to his brother. And it led to him giving the ultimate sacrifice of his life. Uh, he was obedient unto death, even unto the shedding of blood. Does that sound familiar? Remember in Hebrews where it says that none of us have strived against sin to the shedding of blood? Well, Abel did. And so we should take his example and see it for what it is, uh, a life lived in faith, in the power of faith. And his testimony is eternal now. It's in the word of God. It says, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Well, where did that witness come from? Is it from his mother, his father? From Cain? Nope. God testifying of his gifts. You cannot get a greater witness of a life of faith than God testifying on your behalf. Well, when does that happen for the believer? Well done, thy good and faithful servant. So one day all believers are going to stand before Jesus Christ and he's going to testify himself. He's going to testify of the righteous things that we've done in the body, not just in our personal body, but the body of Christ. He will testify of the gifts and offerings that we have made, not just those material, but also those spiritual, because we have a spiritual 
uh, ministry as well, offering up praises and uh, prayers on behalf of others, on behalf of ourselves. These are the things that we do as believers, priests. These are the things that testify of our faith. And these are examples of our faith. And God is going to testify uh, in the Lord Jesus of these things that we're doing in our lives that he's accomplishing in us. So we should work to show ourselves approved. The last part of verse four says, and by it, talking about faith, he, speaking of Abel, being dead, yet speaketh. So long after the faithful die, the exploits of a faithful life will go on. That's why his blood called out for for to God. Um, there was evil done against him. And all he did was believe God and trust God and minister to his brother in love. And his blood, even after he was dead, spoke loudly. Okay. And that's how it is for those who live a life of faith. Long after you die, your work that you did on behalf of the Lord Jesus in your life will speak. It will continue to speak into the lives of other people and encourage them and to build them up. And that's because God makes it that way. Abel lived, you know, a long time ago, <laughs> a long time ago. But God here is testifying eternally of his life of faith. So this is, I think, an excellent first example of faith. Abel is evidence to us that our witness and testimony uh, in faith pleases God. Uh, we have to trust God to minister to people in his word. That's very important for us to trust him for that. We only need to walk in obedience. We, like Abel, have a testimony. Uh, we may not be the favorite child, uh, the recognized co-worker, the highlighted individual. But uh, by simply believing God and offering our lives as a living sacrifice, we'll hear him testify before everybody, all eternity. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. That should be our objective. Abel isn't someone that most people think about when you're if when you're asked about the great lives that were lived for God. You don't immediately. I know I don't immediately go to Abel, but I will now. From now on, I will, because now I see so much more of the life he lived and how he took a stand and trusted God in a and not so favorable circumstances. Abel was the first person, uh, in spite of his quiet life, that God testified on behalf of. So we have a great high priest in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to be like Abel and consider him. We need to spend time meditating on his truth, uh, rejoicing in his spirit that he's given us to indwell us, and walking in that spirit and listening. Just walking with God and listening to him and listening to all that he has to share with us. The Lord Jesus wants to talk to you. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. That's why his spirit indwells us. 
So we need to consider him and devote to him our love, our passion, and our energy. Uh, devote all of those things to his glory and make our lives to, by his grace, to testify of him. You know, that's, that's the bottom line. That's how we get that well done, that good and faithful servant. I hope that uh, this study uh, in Hebrews 11 is just going to continue to pound home these basic truths and that it, God will use these things to shape us and to make us into who he wants us to be. Let's close. Father, thank you for the ministry of your word. Thank you for God, the Holy Spirit, and thank you for the faith that allows us to um, do so many wonderful things that gives us direct access to you and to your word and to the comfort of the scriptures and how you build us up in hope, Father. Please continue to glorify yourself in us that we might benefit and rejoice. Um, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.